Welcome into another episode of the Yachts and Audibles podcast. Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on today's show. We're also doing a live stream. Uh, folks who are listening uh, on the podcast, uh, we will do our best to remember to read the questions in the live stream on the show because I know we, I've seen some comments about us not doing that and that is uh, makes it difficult for those just listening to the audio version of it. So we will work on that. Uh, today's show is pretty simple here. Uh, it is a follow-up, essentially, on what we did about is that 10 days ago, probably, where we ran through mm -hmm. the offense position by position, kind of what we think at each position group, some thoughts, maybe a projected depth chart. I do the offensive depth chart, so today is sort of Jared's day uh, to shine through with his defensive picks for who's starting here, who's starting there. Um, Jared, is there anything else you wanted to say up top just on, on kind of what we're doing today, or, or should we just jump on in with the defensive line? I guess it's just a it's just a two deep projection, so it's just the starter and the backup. I'm not. We both didn't dive into who's the third string, who's the fourth. Um, if there's a walk on involved, um, it's just the first two guys at the top. Um, and you know, it's it's pretty arbitrary at this point. Um, there's you know we we haven't there's no spring football. There's just guys on paper right now and guys who played last year and are returning. Um, so it's a bit difficult to predict at some positions, but um, I think I feel confident. I felt confident about your prediction as well on um, who was going to be like, I think like the biggest position battles are like offensive line or for right. me, it was like the safety room. Um, so yeah, it's just two people, two guys, two boys. Give our opinions. Two men. And then there we go. I, I, one thing I did want to note, which I thought was interesting is unless it's changed with the most recent edition, I had no true freshman in my offensive two deep. And I don't think you had any true freshman in your defensive two deep, which Oregon has a I really good class, but I think that speaks to what we think they have returning. And also I kind of touched on this. Like, I think again, it's too small a sample size, but Dan doesn't have, again, one season, but doesn't have really any track mm -hmm. record of, of playing or starting true freshmen at that high of a level. So I think we're both a little bit cautious and in, in tossing in even one of the like it's only one five-star, but even like a Jaron Dickey on offense or a Mateo Uyunglele on defense. Uh, Roderick Pleasant was a, a recent addition, so I, I'm curious to see if Jared, you know, has has him kind of moved around because when you did the exercise, he wasn't part of the team. Um, but we're going to start on the defensive line. We're going to kind of go the way you look on a defense, defense of, defensive line, linebackers, corners, safety. We'll kind of go present it that way. Um, and then the second part of the show, the back half, we will uh, jump into the chat and answer some questions. If you want to keep them on the defense, that's great. You'll probably start there. If you have questions bigger than that on other topics, we can we can dive into that. Probably go for about an hour. So uh, let's start on the defensive line. I am putting our banner up. I was just going to say, no banner? The banner's there. Uh, who oh. will start along the defensive line, Jared? Okay, run through what you have on your depth chart, and uh, I will work really quickly here to try to get uh, your whole story linked into the uh, YouTube comments. Go for it. Want me to send you that link? Because I got it pulled up. I needed it pulled up. Do that right now. Deal. I will send that as I'm talking about it. So I'm going to start with um, defensive end first. Uh, this one, no-brainer. I got Brandon Dorless starting with Trevin Mai as his reserve. Um, I, I, I'll just go through it, and then I'll hop into explanations. Uh, at nose tackle, I had Popo or Sam Ty or Taki Taimani starting. Uh, defensive tackle, Casey Rogers with Keon Ware Hudson first off the bench. And then the edge, I have Jordan Birch with Mace Funo coming off the bench. Um, for for defensive end, no-brainer. Brandon Dorless coming back. That's where he played all last season. He was Oregon's best defensive lineman. Um, he needs to play back there because 
Um, I like the idea of having him as an inside interior guy or sometimes playing out on the edge and then having the offensive line having to worry about him and then also having Jordan Birch worrying about coming off the edge. Um, nose tackle was difficult. Uh, Jordan Riley is gone. I don't really think Oregon has somebody of his size anymore on the roster except for maybe Sir Mel's. Um, I'm not 100% sure. Uh, Taki's the closest thing to a true nose tackle. Yeah, I I just I, I feel like the way Jordan is built was is is significantly different than how Taki is built. Like I gotcha. I, I don't know I don't know what or how Dan and Tosh like to run their defensive line, but I think last season when when Jordan started and was the starter of the entire season, um, specifically against Georgia, I think that kind of surprised us all. It's like oh they want to run two deep or two two big guys here, him and Casey Rogers. Um, so that, that one was a little bit difficult to predict just because I don't know if if they want Popo to be the every down guy or if they want Taki to be the every down guy and just have Popo come in on pass rush because that's where I think he's better at. Um, but regardless, I think both well, of those guys should get a bunch of playing time. And, and just my, my thought on Popo being difficult is we didn't get a real clear feel of how the staff likes him, like positionally. Right. So yeah. I, he could very well play the same position Casey Rogers plays, and he could be competing there as opposed to nose tackle, which would totally throw – not the entire thing, but it would change some of the interior rotations. Yeah. yeah, so that, that's a thought I've had too of his. I don't know exactly where Popo fits in this defense just because he hasn't been healthy enough to play it yet. Mm-hmm. And then um, Rogers obviously is starting, and then Keon Hudson, who, shoot – might work his way into that nose tackle position and that starting role as well. And against uh, Popo and Popo and Taki, I just had Keon behind Casey because that's what was happening last season. And um, again, this early of a projection is difficult. And I just went with what I knew best and what 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 is probably as of today correct, quote unquote. Um, but Keon, I think, is a guy who could who could vouch for starting time. Um, Casey had a really good season last year. I think he was kind of an unsung hero kind of guy. Um, his production wasn't crazy, but um, it was better than any season Popo Amabai has had or right at that level. Um, and people like to talk really highly of what Popo is capable of. And Casey Rogers just did that last season. Um, so I, I think that he's a really solid defensive line uh, personnel, a really solid starter. I think he helps out the defensive line a lot. Um, and then we'll move over to edge position. Jordan Birch, clear starter. I don't. I mean, that was an issue all of last season. Um, DJ Johnson had his moments for sure. Um, Jordan Birch is a is just a much better player than DJ Johnson. And I mean, zero disrespect to DJ Johnson because he's a lot of fun and he's he's a good player in his own right. But Birch, especially going against Pac-12 offensive lines, um, which aren't great. Um, I think that's a clear mismatch for Oregon. And it's a guy who's 6'6", 6'7", 275 pounds, gets after it quick. He's dominant off the line of scrimmage. Um, he had 40 or 41 hurries, quarterback hurries last season, which would have tied or was second place on Oregon's roster last – or would have been uh, second right. place behind Brandon Dorless. Yeah. Um, you add those two guys together, there's no reason – I have no reason to believe that Brandon Dorless wouldn't play as well as he did this past season. Um that's just a really good one-two combination. And then Mace Funa coming in behind him is a good – is a really good backup because that's been a guy who's a starter for most of his career. And I get excited thinking about on past specific downs about how you can rotate and what kind of options you could theoretically 
have here of, okay, maybe you have Birch put a hand down and replace Dorless at end and Dorless slides over to a defensive tackle position where he's played before and you get a uh, Mace yep. up replacing Birch for, I don't want to say more speed necessarily, but uh, well, maybe a little bit more versatility. Um, I just, what's that? Oh, I was going to say, I think that's where, I think in that case where it's like a third and long and you really just want to get after the quarterback, I think that's a case where you might see your first true freshman on the defensive line with Mateo Uyunglele. I think that he's right. a, he's a much quicker um, – I don't know if he's a better pass rusher because we just haven't seen him play at the collegiate level than Mace Funa is, but that's a guy who's you know really hyped up. He's got a, a very similar younger frame um, than that, that Jordan Birch kind of has. Uh, he's a guy who's going to be quicker off the edge than Mace Funa, I think, just initially. Um but I do like that idea of like, well, Dorless has played interior defensive line for a lot of his career. You can just throw him back in there and move Birch to the edge or excuse me, defensive end and just let those guys go free and then bring in somebody off the bench who's strictly a pass rusher. I, I think we're going to see them be more of a multiple in terms of the rotation up front. I thought we saw DJ play more, more standing than I thought maybe this year. I kind of thought, because going into the year, the talk was about – I think I even asked him, he said something along the lines of like, it's, it's my choice down to down almost yep. to, if I'm standing, yep. if I have a hand down. We didn't really see as much of that. And again, I, I'd have to go rewatch the season and maybe I'm missing some sequences, but just kind of felt like he played pretty pretty static with like one position. I think there's room to throw more looks out there. And a guy like Birch has the versatility. A guy like Dorless has the versatility to play a couple different spots. I mentioned Mace just because he's the, the the logical number two at edge or or yeah. outside linebacker, depending on what they're playing. But you're right, like a Mateo could be a great a great fit off the off the bench there on a specific pass down. That could be a, a role he could maybe have early on um, in his career. So no, I I I I've been pretty high on this group. I think this is the group. Uh, you know, just to kind of continue it now that we've gone through some of the too deep stuff. Like I, I think this is, it was a big win to have all of these guys come back up front. Mm-hmm. Like there was a time I remember sitting in a, a, a barbecue joint with Matt and James Crepia uh, down uh, before the Arizona game. And James and Matt and I were kind of going like, gosh, they're going to be in trouble on their defensive line. Cause they're like, yes. Dorless is going to be gone. Rogers is probably gone. This guy could be gone. Is this guy, does this talkie really want to stick? Like, all of these things we were talking about, and basically everybody who was hypothetically leaving has come back. And so you've got a group. It's, um, I understand the the maybe some concerns because this group didn't exactly blow the doors off last year, but I didn't think the defensive line was like entirely the problem. I thought on rundowns they did a really good job. Obviously, pass downs. I really don't know what to make of a pass rush. I, I, I almost want to have somebody on to explain it to us. Cause I think there was enough athleticism in general up front to be more impactful on the quarterback. And yet they basically stopped getting there the entire second half of the season. Like there was a, a five game stretch to close the regular season. Where I think they had like three combined sacks. So um, yeah. they, 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 they need to find answers there. They've added Birch who should help. We've talked about it. There could be a cumulative effect. He might take some attention away from other guys that can allow Dorless to get home, but um, yeah, they definitely need to be better here, but I'm, I remain optimistic. Yeah, I had two more things to talk about the defensive line real right. quick. I think pass rush, I think a real big issue with that was the inability of the linebackers to create any real pressure. Um, I just think that at points, depending on who was on the field, there just wasn't a guy who could get to the quarterback fast enough. They just didn't have the speed or the acceleration to do so. And I think that Oregon is hopeful that um, – 
you know, someone like Devin Jackson or Justin Jacobs has the speed to do so this year. So that just to send another guy at the quarterback. Uh, and then secondly, uh, you talked about multiplicity with the defensive line. You know, we haven't, we only have mentioned Mateo. There's still like eight or nine other dudes who are <laughs> four-star prospects who uh, I'm not expecting all of them to make a real big impact in their freshman year because they won't just playing the numbers game, but there's yeah. playing the numbers game on the other side. There's going to be two or three kids who make an impression and, and allow for um, Casey Rogers or Taki Taimani or Jordan Birch to move from edge to, to defensive end. Uh, in that pass rush scenario we were talking about where they can come off the bench and showcase that even though they're a true freshman, they can still uh, perform on the field. But then again, it goes back to your point earlier. How much does Dan want to play actual true freshman, which who knows? Well, when you bring in 10 of them, <laughs> I mean, it's I crazy. Mean, yeah. They have 10 true. I, I haven't done this exercise. I would imagine this is the most defensive line slash edge prospects. I think it's weird because the edge was formerly looked at as an outside linebacker. So it would have been grouped yeah. differently in previous years, like three or four, even three or four back. But 10 is a huge number to commit to one position group, especially defensive line where it's like it feels like usually you're looking at maybe four to six. They, they clearly wanted to overhaul there. They I, I, Obviously, they they saw the it makes, need to, to, to add it makes sense. down the slide. But. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense that they needed to, to overhaul that unit because every guy who did come back, who had the option of leaving last season, right, no longer has the option. They're done. They're gone. Casey Rogers, Doralis, Mace Funa, uh, those guys are, are, are gone next season. Popo is gone as well. Yeah. So that's at least four dudes. But anyways, we can we can move on to a different position well, group. And now. just the last thing, for these young guys, like, yeah, there's a ton of veterans and, and the snaps aren't going to be available really for the younger guys more than likely. But some of those guys have to get some opportunities this year. Mm -hmm. Just be, speaking to the long term of the program, I know you wouldn't throw an un, you know, a player not, who's not capable already on the field unless he's capable already to be on the field. But at a certain point, with all of the guys that are leaving, I mean, you look at your projected uh, defensive line, you're too deep there, yep. but almost all of those guys are, are in, could be gone two, after three, this upcoming season. Um, yeah. I mean, Doralis, Amavai, Rogers, Funa, Taimani, that's five what, of the eight. That's five of your, yeah, five of your eight with, uh, with Keon, and, Birch, and, and Maai being the only back. I don't think it's any guarantee Birch sticks All, out all eight of them could season. be gone. Yeah, yeah. So. Like Mike could transfer, Keon could have a great season, go to the NFL. Same with Birch. Like they could all be gone. It's similar to what the safety room was last year. All right, let's uh, let's slide over to the inside linebacker position. I've got a new mm -hmm. banner at the bottom of the screen for those who are on Excellent. the live stream or watching it on YouTube uh, after we finish recording. Uh, two positions here, Jared. Uh, one returning starter in Jeffrey Bossa. Do we like him to start next season? What, what's your breakdown here? Sure. So there's the Mac and the money linebacker. Um, the Mac is your traditional Mike linebacker. He's a quarterback of the defense. Um, you know, he's more run heavy, stops the ball at the line of scrimmage type of guy, can come off blitzes. And then the money linebacker um, is really just uh, it's a new ish type of position. It's happened in the last five or six years. It's more of like, a bigger corner safety or a bigger nickel safety. It's just a bigger dude who could still cover and, and go east east to west on the football field. With that being said, my Mac linebacker starter is J Justin Jacobs, followed by Keith Brown. My money linebacker is Jeffrey Bossa, followed by Devin Jackson. And I, I mean, I don't I don't know what else there is to talk about. Just because there's 
you have Justin Jacobs, who is a legitimate linebacker prospect at Iowa before he got hurt. You have Jeffrey Bossa, who has the most experience on the team coming back to the linebacking room. Keith Brown had a great or a really good San Diego Credit Union Holiday Bowl at Petco Park. Um, but that's it, man. I, I, I can't say he's going to be a starter because there's uh, unless we see him just improves um, tremendously on the field during spring camp. That he's just going to be a backup, but he's going to be a good backup, is what I'm saying. And then on the Mac, uh, excuse me, on the money side with Devin Jackson, that's all projection. There's no clear cut. Hey, this is your backup money linebacker. I just picked Jackson because he's the quickest, maybe the quickest linebacker on the team, just to his his uh, speed coming out of high school. Um, I think I don't know how many snaps he got in this last season, but it must have been in the tens or twenties of snaps. Um, he rarely played, yeah, but played, he played the first four games on special teams and then didn't play any of the rest of the regular season and then played in the bowl. Right. So, and barely played in the bowl too. Yeah. I was, you know, I was expecting Devin Jackson to be some revelation during the San Diego credit union holiday bowl at Petco park. And then he just never, he just never played. It was all Keith Brown. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but, um, and then, uh, you still have Harrison Taggart, who I think is more of a Mac linebacker than a money linebacker, uh, Jerry Mixon is an incoming freshman. Um, Connor Soul I, I played this kind of weird nickel safety linebacker role at Arizona State. I don't know where Dan and company would like no. to play him this season. If um, it's a, if it's a line, if it's at this group, it would be the money. I would imagine it, it would. Cer- yeah, it would certainly be the money. And I don't know if I'm just saying like he played almost kind of like 50-50 splits at Arizona State as like the money linebacker and then like a safety position. He played safety his first two seasons. So eventually we'll figure out where he'd like to, where, where Dan and Tosh would like him to play. But for now I have Justin Jacobs starter at the Mac and then Jeffrey boss is starter at the money. There's a couple of questions that Chad, I want to get to on this topic sure. in a moment here, but the kind of a thought I had here is uh, I, I'm in agreement with your predictions. I think it's hard to argue else otherwise um i've been pretty clear on this podcast with of, of my uh criticism of basa which I, I think is fairly reasonable to be honest uh, our, our criticism of basa's play has sparked sparked some conversation in the social media network yeah, i'll tell you what i know people probably don't like us very much for that i understand i i don't know i, I just was expecting i'm a big fan of jeff basa i just didn't think he had a very good season and i and i think we both anticipate he has an opportunity to prove us completely wrong this year and i hope he does because mm-hmm. um, oregon really needs better play at linebacker um but the thing i wanted to mention was that we don't have a clear idea and i need to chat with a couple people about this about if, if Justin Jacobs is going to be available or not for spring and if he does if he isn't that would give Keith Brown an entire spring with the ones which I'm not saying gives him a you know the advantage in a, in a position battle because I think physically Jacobs probably has some advantages that Brown just can't make up in terms of size and strength and some of the athleticism stuff but that's going to be an opportunity for Brown to really sort of mm-hmm. you know state yes you know, I guess uh Put some put a foot down and say, hey, this is a position that I that I'd like to be involved with going forward. So I'm 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 curious to see this spring sort of what the dynamic is because Jacobs suffered a, a somewhat serious knee injury back in September. I don't know if he'll be full go all the way through spring. By the way, um, I don't even think we've put it on the site. I'm planning on writing it shortly after we finish here. Uh, we did get from Dan on the in-house radio show some details on spring football. Looks like we got a couple practices in March. 
They go on spring yeah. break and they come back, and then we have 13 in April. With obviously, we know the I think the date of the spring game is the 29th. has been out there. It's April 29th uh, at 1 p.m. at Otson Stadium. That's a ways away, but for those who like to plan, go ahead and put your calendars out, get that set up. So, but yeah, I I, I don't know Jacobs. Um, availability to start spring i think that's one thing to kind of question there the question i wanted to uh bring up just from the chat here because i thought this was sort of an, a notable one just with the body types from fish bio other than jacobs the other inside linebackers are small in stature are we worried about physicality i think this is interesting because i think a year ago the athleticism wasn't great at inside linebacker mm -hmm. And you had Noah Sewell, who was a 250-plus pound guy at that position. And I think at times that was a, that was not to Oregon's benefit. Um, I think he had a hard yes. time running east to west. I, I don't know if there was an injury for most of the season because he, he seemed to step slower even than previous seasons. But for whatever reasons, I didn't think Oregon maximized in his defense a player of that size. And you mentioned Jacobs being the only player kind of of this group who is – closer to he's still not Sewell's size I don't know if that's necessarily kind of a bad thing I think they're like I think Noah Sewell in certain situations is a really good player and I think Oregon fans saw that throughout his first couple of years here I think by finding more players who have a little bit more explosiveness and general athleticism I think that's pretty intentional based upon what we've seen from Dan Landing defenses at Georgia um, which mm -hmm. is why adding uh, the players that they've added since he's gotten here, the Devin Jacksons, the Harrison Taggart, Justin Jacobs, Jerry Mixon, those guys all have pretty darn elite athleticism for their position, but none of them are, and I know Jacobs is about 6'4", 245, so he's certainly bigger. He's a big boy. But the other three guys are all smaller in stature, certainly than a Noah Sewell or a, I know Justin Flo dropped like 30 pounds or whatever over the course of his career here, but when Flo got here, he was playing closer to 240. That, I think you're going to see that be kind of a trend with Oregon. I think they're going to have small inside linebackers, but they're going to have guys that are a little bit more explosive and athletic. And I think that's really going to help them because, to me, that was one of the bigger shortcomings of this last season. So that's actually something, uh, Fishbile, that I, I, you can be concerned about physicality. I think you can also be encouraged by the fact that maybe you can uh, have players flying around a little bit more just with a little bit more explosiveness in general. Yeah, I don't – I agree with, with Fishbile, but I believe asked the question – are we worried about the physicality? A little bit. It's just there aren't a lot of teams other than Stanford and maybe against Oregon State, and maybe the, those who are listening kind of have some PTSD, like flashback moments to Oregon's linebackers against Oregon State. There aren't a lot of teams who are just going to put, like, you know, power football. And so, like, physicality concerns, like, I'm not overly concerned about it because I don't think these guys at linebacker don't have, don't have to be overly physical. I think they have to be physical because they have to step up to the line and make some tackles. And yeah, I, I, I'm with Eric. I just think that this is the trend. I think that, um, you know, having a guy like, like Sewell is looks pretty good on paper in terms of like the height and weight category. Um, I just think that those, those guys might be more of a thing in the past. Um, I, I don't know. I'm looking at uh, what N'Kobe Dean weighed at Georgia, who was like you know one of the best linebackers yeah, in the country. He was like what, wasn't he 5'11", 225, I think something like that. Yeah, yeah. He, he's listed at six feet two twenty five on the Georgia roster. Yeah. So that's a slighter frame. I think it's more about the dog, like the dog and the hunt, than the size of the dog in this case. You know, if you know, like. I don't think after Jeffrey Boss's freshman season, if there were 
honestly that many concerns about his physicality. Um, I think that he is a physical player. It's just in the moments this year with the pressure around him now that he's a sophomore and they know that he's that the, the fan base and us know that he's a developing prospect and he played well in his freshman season. I think that everything got really, really overblown and even by us at points, but um, overall a player like him and his ability to cover, I know it wasn't really heightened this last year, but I think that can change depending on the personnel around him. Um, I think it's, I, I think his uh, physical traits and his characteristics are going to be really helpful for this program. Just in his ability that, yeah, maybe he's undersized for a linebacker or what we perceive as a linebacker weight and size, but he can go east to west better than anybody else in the roster could last season. And now with Dan and Tosh and getting their linebackers around them, maybe it looks a lot different this year. I just think physicality wise, I'm, I'm not really concerned about the linebacker group with that. Maybe just a little, but I think that they'll be physical. I think it really just depends how they, you know, how they cover, which doesn't really have too much to do with physicality. One last question here, and then we'll move on to some mm-hmm. defensive back talk uh, from Ryan S. So do, do they move Mace Funa to another linebacker spot? A lot of talent on the edge coming in, thin at the other linebacker spots. Um, no, I, I don't think Funa moves positions. That's kind of what I wanted to address it, um, in part because we have him listed at edge, but Oregon also is fairly they, – they vary their personnel. And he, by the way, started eight games this last season at outside linebacker. And there were times last year where they used two standing, and I, it, mm-hmm. two standing outside linebackers essentially uh, with he and, and DJ. So they were both on the field for a fair amount this last season. So no, I, Funes, while the edge spot as we referred to it, he's maybe not ahead of a uh, Jordan Birch in our theoretical projections here. Funes still has like a starting role or his top at a position group that we just don't choose to list here because it seems like the base personnel is more of this like. Three three five or four two five, depending on what, how you want to designate the edge in that. I think you probably sit, maybe it's more of a four. Um, so, but no, but Fu- and I also think just uh, trait wise, Funa's not going to be any better at inside linebacker. In fact, I think that's gets to the point I just made with Noah Sewell of yeah. lacking some of that athleticism. Funa's not a better athlete, I don't think, than than Noah Sewell top to bottom. Like, and I, in, in fact, I know he's, his body has totally changed, by the way. That was one of the big stories last year was how he'd cut so much weight and, uh, and had leaned out. But I still don't think he's quite explosive enough or quick enough east to west to be relied upon uh, as a, like a playing, I guess, the, 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 mic posi- the back position in this defense. Um, mm-hmm. All right. Let's move over to corner. And this is a silly, a bit of a silly question on the banner here. Who will replace Christian Gonzalez at corner? (laughs) I have, um, I think this one was another tough group to pick, and I'll get to that in a second. But I have uh, Trequez Bridges followed by Julio Florence as a field cornerback, and the boundary cornerback I have Kyrie Jackson followed by Dante Manning. Um, Here's why this one was difficult. Um, I really like the prospect that is Kyrie Jackson. I like his speed. I like his height. I like his length. I like his play style. I like what I saw just on his tape at his limited moments at Alabama last year. But that's what it was. It was limited moments at Alabama. Um, it's hard to predict who's going to be the starter there. I, I have Kyrie just because basically based on the fact that he's a, he's an Alabama transfer, and I haven't seen enough from Dante Manning for three years now, three years now at Oregon, where if he starts, he starts, but 
I think Kyrie Jackson is the guy who has, frankly, more experience, even in, in his limited snaps at Alabama. So this one is difficult. Who's going to replace Christian Gonzalez? No one. I mean, the pass rush, which uh, and you know inhibits a quarterback from throwing the ball as often. Um, Gonzalez is going to be a top 10 pick or a top 15 pick in the draft. That's going to be really hard to replace. And Charquez Bridges was, as we've talked about on this podcast, was much better towards the, the final you know, half of the season than he was at the beginning half. And but I do really like the idea of having Bridges and Kyrie Jackson on both side or on one side of the field because it's two like six foot two, six foot three cornerbacks. You don't get that too often. And in a in a league like the Pac-12, where there's a lot of passing, there's a lot of good wide receivers across the whole entire conference. Um, having those guys with those type of that that length. You know, Tricoids Bridges with like his seven foot wingspan. Um, that's really going to help Oregon's defensive backs. It's just, it's hard to, you know, write in pen that Kyrie Jackson is going to be a starter because there's just not a whole lot of experience there. And he's going to be pushed into this much larger role at Oregon as a true starter rather than like the first cornerback off the bench at Bama. Um, and you're hoping that. One of the freshmen from last season, whether it be Jaleel Florence or Jaleel Tucker, or maybe one of the early enrollees this upcoming season, and um, Roderick Pleasant eventually, and then Dalen Austin eventually, like that one of those guys step up. But I think for now, like Florence has separated himself from the pack of those group of that group of people, and then Dante Manning is is still fighting for the third straight season for another starting quarterback role. This time, I have him going against Jackson and not Bridges. Yeah, I think I think Bridges is is there. I, I I would be really surprised if he lost his job. And and it's funny because agreed. I, not to reiterate the PFF stuff, but I was just doing. I just did the. Uh, I was looking at all the PFF stuff by position in the conference, and it, he was the sixth highest rated player at, at quarter in the, out of like thirty six corners in the conference this last year. Which again, I know doesn't jive with whatever it felt like they saw because I remember bringing it up to a couple of people. Who I know who know football really well, and they were like, "That's that's really not what, what I felt, felt like I watched this year." But to each his own, I guess. Uh, so I I feel comfortable, and in fact, I think pretty confident that he can take a step this year. I don't know if he's like I think one of the things you look at is I know you don't necessarily need a quote unquote alpha lockdown corner out there, but you had Christian Gonzalez, who was certainly that last year for you, and that, that was that was he was yeah. always going to take or primarily going to take the top option and just take that player away as best he could. I don't know if you feel like you're going to have somebody here, at least on paper right now, it doesn't feel like someone exists on this roster that way. I, I, I give a lot of credit to, to Quez, but I, I don't look at him as a lockdown corner. Maybe he'll develop into that. That would be great. I don't know about Kyrie Jackson. I don't know about Dante Manning. I stand with the Dante Manning at some point. I just feel like it's going to click, and I hope it's this year. But it's, it's hard. point, man, yeah. Because he's really gifted athletically, and he's had moments in games. Actually, I thought he—I thought all the corners played pretty darn well against Drake May in the, you know, against North Carolina mm -hmm. in the bowl game. Um, so, but we'll see. I, I think this, like you said, Jared, is one of the harder ones to handicap um, because we we haven't seen Kyrie here. He had kind of a weird 2022 in general. Was suspended, I think, from the team for a part of the year. Yeah. I don't know what that was all about. Um, but didn't really play basically after the first handful of games. Uh, we know what Triquez is. Manning, Florence were guys who were kind of competing all year this last year to be the number three guy. 
seems like they want to both compete to be the number two, but I think it's possible that they're kind of in the same spot again. And then we have all these young guys and like, I, I don't a know. A lot of like, young guys. A I, lot. I, I mentioned how many young edge guys they have. Well, they bring in, I think five players this class, uh, sorry, four that are, that are slotted to play corner with Pleasant, Austin, Cole Martin, who's position coach, Demetrius Martin's son, and then Colin Gill. Uh, Colin, who, Gill, who, by the way, goes completely under the radar. Like I almost just forget about him. So I hope he ends mm-hmm. up being a good player. My forgetting about him isn't by Kind of like his film. And yeah. He's so poorly rated, but he's got a good frame on him. I don't know. Maybe well, when he, com- when he committed, it was like, oh, he's he's going to see a ratings boost. <laughs> that just never happened. Never happened. No. That was I, the I, thing. I remember dropped was, at the end that of That was day. being talked about was, was when he committed some of the East Coast folks, because he is, I think, from Baltimore. Uh, we're DC. like or DC. We're like, uh, yeah, no, uh, Gil's tape. He's really, he's really come on a lot. We think he's going to get a nice bump, and then I just don't think it ever happened. So I don't know what to make of him. But no, I, I think from that group, you'd like to see a player or two emerge who can play. I think between Pleasant and Austin, your expectation should be that one of those guys at least enters the conversation. I don't think it's fair to expect either to start. We've already outlined that. Like, a, and I did a story yesterday on deck territory. There's a lot of really highly regarded and highly rated former corners on this team. Um, Dante mm-hmm. Manning was a five-star recruit. Jaleel Florence, Jaleel Tucker, Avante Dickerson were all very, very close in ranking from a recruiting perspective to both of these incoming two freshmen um, in Pleasant and Austin. So I don't think you can just pencil them in as, as contributors day one. But I do think amongst that group, there's probably an opportunity for one of those guys to at least push themselves in there to, to get some minutes. Um, but I, it's hard to know who that will be, to be honest with you. We haven't seen these guys play, and a couple of them just no. signed recently. So, um, anything else? Uh, corner? Yeah, w- one more thing. Uh, w- we'll get to this at safety probably too. But towards the end of the year, Kamari Terrell lined up at cornerback. Um, earlier in the year, he was playing in that star safety position. Uh, right. I don't, I don't know what they're going to do with him. I think that he's too talented of a player uh, for them to just. I don't know, like have him in limbo in one of these two positions. I was, I mean, I think he has the the speed and the size and the length to play either position. Um, I just don't know which one it's going to be. I really don't. I mean, I could, I could really see him playing either. I think he was listed as just an athlete coming out of high school, and then coach. I think, Lord, he, was listed, I think he was listed as a corner. Maybe, yeah. I, I don't remember off the top of my head. I can, I can I'll, you and I'll, you or I can look that I'll, up. I'll confirm that, but. Um, yeah, I listed as a corner coming out of high school, but yeah, he's six foot, six foot one, 180 pounds. Um, I'm sure he's much bigger than that now. Uh, I don't know. I could see him playing either or I just, you know, that's somebody who I think I lean more towards safety now after like recent additions, um, especially like Ryder Pleasant coming in, but I don't have him listed at all on my depth chart, but I think he's a absolutely like. A worthy or like honorable mention type of deal. We should note, um, we haven't really done this in any of the position groups, but I think corner along with safety and defensive line are positions where you could see some some roster churn uh, mm-hmm. just from a numbers perspective. Like we haven't even mentioned Darren Barkin's name. He's back with the team. Uh, what do they have? They have? they have four, five, if you include Kyrie Jackson, incoming newcomer corners this year on scholarship. And then they return, what's that? six so there's 11 and that is include kamari terrell it's 11 or 12 scholarship mm-hmm. corners on the roster currently i would be 
maybe a little surprised if that's the number they have when when they play Portland State in September. It seems like a seems like a guy or two too many. And uh, there are certainly like, between between the guys that you know that are that are returning. I don't think you expect any of the newcomers to leave. That would be feel strange. But mm-hmm. Monty Dickerson, Darren Barkins would both be. This these will be their their third seasons, and neither of them have really been able to to carve out much of a role. So I think those would be the, the players that I look at and say that would make sense if they they were going to leave. All right. Um, I think we'll move on to safety here. And then we'll, probably the last 20 or so minutes, we'll just be answering questions. So those who've been holding questions, go ahead and send them. Those that have asked questions uh, already, we'll probably go back through and see if we see anything else we're talking about. But on to the last unit on defense, be the safety mm. group. We include that nickel star safety, whatever you want to call it, in this group. Um, so we have three players, or three positions, I should say, to talk about here. Um, weirdest position group for me defensively, just to predict. I think it's the hardest. It's hard. So it's I, just a lot of dudes. Yeah, I went through this exercise. There's a couple that are no-brainers. There's really just, honestly, there's really one to me that's a no-brainer, and the rest of it's yep. kind of like, I don't know, we'll see. So where'd you land? I'll go with the no-brainer first. Um, I have Tysheem Johnson starting at star with JJ Greenfield as his secondary. Um, that's kind of where like the Kamari Terrell talk or conversation comes into play. Um, but then I have boundary safety. I have Jamal Hill starting with Steve Stevens as a backup and free safety. I have Evan Williams starting with Brian Addison as the backup. So I, I mean, last year, Jamal Hill played a lot of free safety and this was after um, a fall camp where Coach Joe Lorig, who's also the safeties coach, mentioned that he and, and Bennett Williams will be splitting time at star or at that safety position. And it, the splitting time just never really came. Like Bennett Williams played the entire year. He finished the season with the most snaps on the team on defense at 787. Um, he was the star safety. And in turn, Jen, uh, Jamal Hill played free safety. I like Jamal Hill more as a boundary safety than anything else. I just think his coverage skills are better. And I really like Evan Williams's film as a free safety. Could they switch? Sure. Why not? Could Brian Addison start? Sure. I'd love that. Could Steve Stevens start? Sure. He started most of last year. Uh, so that's the issue with this position group is that, you know, you were going into the last season of 2022 where you could have four of your six safeties leave and Stevens and Hill and Bennett Williams and uh, Brian Addison, they all could have left. Bennett Williams had to leave. Is that eligibility? Um, but now the other three are back and you, you bring in a couple safety recruits and Tyler Turner and Cody to Canberra. Um, I don't think that those guys are really going to see the field. You still have um, Trajan Williams and Kamar Terrell from last year. So those guys are, are in the depth chart, but so, what is that, eight eight or nine safeties overall, including J.J. Greenfield, even though he's not a scholarship guy. Um, again, that's another position group that's a lot of people. And you're kind of wondering at that point, it's like, well, who who would leave? And I don't think it would be one of the high – or the, the uh, senior – like the senior guys in Hill or Addison or Stevens. So it might be a younger player who eventually transfers out of there. But there's just a lot of guys who could play. And it's like – could you see this guy playing? Like, yeah, absolutely. He played all like all of last season. And now he's in a position battle with someone who else who played all of last season. So that's what I have. But I'm this is easily the hardest one to predict. I don't there's no clear answer to me other than Taishim Johnson. 
Yeah, no, the stuff at the back is is sort of reminiscent of the defensive line where you have all these guys who had options or choices to make that and then they just all just chose to come back. Which which is again on face value, I don't think it's a bad thing at all. Um, having starting caliber players return is never a bad thing, regardless of whatever sport you're playing. Like, I don't think as critical as you guys could be of, of any of those three players, I think there's reason to, to maybe levy some criticism based upon some shortcomings here and there. Like, they're mm-hmm. all starting caliber players in the Pac-12 and started at Oregon or played a lot at Oregon for a reason last year. So I think it's a good thing they all came back. It just makes it really difficult to do this exercise. Um, and I know no, nobody, none of those players care that we're doing this exercise or care that it's making our life hard at all. But it, it, it generally is challenging because, I like I said, I, the no-brainer you mentioned is the no-brainer that I would have said, which is that I think they needed to find a nickel. Taishim is a perfect nickel. He will be – I would be stunned if he doesn't start there. There's really not much of an alternative besides – aside from moving Jamal Hill back over there, which could happen. I don't know. Um but the stuff at the back end is harder. It's it's really tough because you do have uh, Evan Williams, who I think clearly played at a really high level this last year. They wouldn't have added him if they didn't think he could come in and contribute. Dan Lanning talked about Williams and some of the things he really liked uh, on Wednesday during the signing, the signing day press conference. And then you've got your three guys who played it or started a bunch of games last year. And it's going to be, I think, really interesting to see kind of what comes out of this. I'll be curious – early on in camp, assuming we do get to watch a little bit of practice of just who's working where, what the hierarchy looks like, if we get to learn any of that. Um, and then to a question I've seen, uh, we've talked about it on our show, but we can kind of reiterate, and I'll pull it up right now from uh, Ryan Robertson. Seems like there's a log jam at safety. Any hint that one slash some of the older guys might transfer after spring ball? Um, no reporting on that. No, no, no whispers or, or rumblings of that that I've heard from anybody, but I think logically it makes sense to ask the question of whether that could be a thing that happens. Oregon, as you said already, is I believe the number is is it ninety one? That's where we're at. I'm I'm so yeah. I'm the worst somehow at remembering. I'm good at remembering most numbers, but scholarship numbers I'm always wrong. It's not going to matter eventually, so you're fine. It's not, like they'll get under eighty five. Well, just yeah. j- just for podcast perspective, yes, of, of for wanting sure. to give accurate information of the of the accounting of the of scholarships. <sighs> Accurate Somebody at this point, at some point, we're going to have to hire. My, my guess, my dad's a retired CPA, so I know who to call. But we need to get like a that scholarship would be, yes. accountant yes. who's just going to sit there and crunch the numbers and how it all works, right? <laughs> uh, but uh, they do, they do need to move down, and it would make sense for a player from this group to theoretically leave. You could also argue, hey, is it a bad thing to have just a bunch of older veteran guys out there and who could compete and in theory have some different skill sets? Like I could kind of see it either way. Um, but regardless, I, I think this group is remains one of the ones I have the most concern for on the team. I thought this and inside linebacker to me were the probably the two biggest weaknesses this last year um, defensively. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. I think it's clear that they went. They had, there was a thought of we need to improve this position. That's why they want added two kids from the portal, portal who are scholarship or scholarship starters at their schools and pretty high level players. Now you kind of see how everything sh- shakes out. And, and if there is a little bit of roster turnover after spring, I think everybody kind of is understanding that that would, that would make some sense for a guy or two to, to make that decision. Damon David is another name. I don't know if we mentioned much of a guy who I just oh, keep, keep thinking. Talented guy, was a, always been high on him, and I just don't know if he has a role. And I don't think either of us had him in our two deeps. And a guy who probably also makes sense to maybe take a look. He looked last year to, to transfer, ended up coming back. Mm-hmm. Uh We'll kind of see there. So anything else on safety or in general for this exercise you wanted to, t- to hit on, Jared? Well, I was going to 
you know, briefly, or at least try and briefly answer Ryan's question about, you know, if there's any hint on who might transfer out. No hints yet. I just, I have a hard time imagining that it would be somebody who is an, who is a, um, an upperclassman on the roster. Like I said earlier, like I'd have a hard time seeing Jamal or BA or Steve Stevens, you know, transfer out after five or six years with the program. I would imagine it might be just a younger guy. Maybe it is David. Maybe it's, I don't, know, I don't really want to name names here because, well, I'm just naming names, name names. I don't have any yeah, intel right. on who's transferring out. It could be David. It could be J.J. Greenfield, who finally gets his uh, scholarship slot from some other program, which would be great for him. Um, yeah, this, this and cornerback are the two defensive position groups that are, I don't know how to describe it. They have, uh, I don't know, too many chickens in the coop. I really think the, like there's a lot of dudes. The most fun outcome for this is JJ Greenfield has like an unbelievable spring and they have to put him on scholarship. That would be, Oh dude, I would, I would love it. I think I'm not arguing that at all, but just the fact that we're all like kind of biting nails over, Oh, scholarships. How many scholarships do they have? And then if they had a guy on the roster, like oh, we got to put him on scholarship. He's too good. Not to <laughs> it's like, shoot. Now we have to cut another, another person to move on from. Uh, obviously. I don't know, man. It might, might be worth it in the end. Who knows? Yeah. JJ Greenfield. This is a JJ Greenfield podcast now. All right. Um, let's go to the chat for some questions. I'm going literally timeline down. So it, it, the questions okay. I see, for, I'm going in order of what when they were asked. So we're going to hit these for probably about, oh, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. Um, Please from, keep asking questions. Yeah, keep asking them. We'll just keep running through here. From uh, the Sturdy 21, do you think they will hire someone to replace? Sorry, so be the new pseudo inside linebacker coach to replace Jake Long, uh, who, by the way, just took off to Alabama, where he, I believe, went to school and was working previously. So, yeah, a lot of tough good call. For, tough call. Good for Jake yeah. going back home. <laughs> or will another analyst, and he put in parentheses, such as Tony Washington, be filling that role? Um, they will certainly replace this role uh, with, without question. Yeah. I, Tony Washington, uh, I don't know if that makes sense because his responsibilities have been almost exclusively uh, defensive line. He's been working mm -hmm. with Tony Tuioti, who he worked with at Nebraska. Um, that was, I mean, those, he's been kind of in the same, he was in the same role this year as he was at Nebraska, working up with defensive linemen as we played in college. I, I don't know if that's the name to know there, but you know, I, I, there'll certainly be someone who will be hired to replace. I don't have a name. And again, now we're getting, shoot, like, I don't even know if, like, we're getting down. <laughs> it's so funny, Jared, of like what, people know or want to talk about from a uh from a football perspective now it's just like how much more into the into the details we get because yeah like there's into probably the like yeah like we have a question about jake long who's somebody who i don't know if many people aside from sturdy 21 and some of the other diehards in this live stream and maybe some of those listening have any clue who that was because he wasn't an on-field coach um no. he was never interviewed Basically, never photographed. In fact, I think the one time we did photograph, I got him. I got him mixed up with another one of the analysts, and so the wrong. I tagged. <laughs> yeah, the wrong yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't know who that guy's name is, but they look identical. So, so, so it's just. I mean, uh, yeah, yes, they were replaced. It. It's just kind of funny that we actually have questions asking about these sorts of roles because I remember like what, one of my closest friends uh, who's a diehard fan like a decade ago, and again, and maybe he's not that much of a diehard, but he like didn't even know who like the defensive backs coaches were, right? And so now we've got a situation where we're talking about yeah. 
you know, analyst roles, uh, certainly going to fill, I, I imagine, I don't know, I don't have any inside information on that. Again, that's kind of down my pecking order of things. We'll maybe get some information in the coming weeks. I don't, for the, the example used of Tony Washington, I would be stunned if that's the thing he's doing next. Yeah, I mean, Oregon's going to fill that role. It's probably just going to be with uh, Jake Long's twin brother on the team. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, they're the guy gonna, whose name just gonna, the guy who looks just like him is going to replace him. Yeah, I, was, uh, I, 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 I don't, I don't remember. remember his name. I, yeah, I don't know that. But name all right, yeah, they're going to replace him. From Duddy D, will probably be four straight years of Ducks producing a first-round NFL draft pick. That's assuming Christian Gonzalez goes where he's projected to go, which is I don't know, Jared. You said you're the top ten, I think, this this couple of days ago, right? Yeah, he's he's um. There's a great little website in case anybody wants to know about this called NFL Mock Draft Database. You type in a player's name, it gives them, it gives you, excuse me, all of the mock drafts that have been produced in the last year or two with that person's name in it. Um, Christian Gonzalez is, I think he's like consensus around like the eighth pick. He's, he's most likely to go to the Lions at six. Um, pretty good. Yeah. So I, yeah, I've seen him anywhere from like six to 15. I don't think he, uh, I think Mel Kuyper Jr. has him kind of low, but that's that's the only one who does. So, so I think the first – well, I just read from from Duddy D's question stands up. Oregon very likely to have four straight years with a first-round pick. And then his question, which I think is a good one, who would you predict to be the what, – what are you laughing at? Another I'm sorry. I, I just got a notification on my phone from Shams. Um, Shams Sharani, as, as right, I hope sure. some of you know, that Kyrie Irving has requested a trade. Oh, great. Classic. <laughs> Apologies, apologies. That, that's by like by the way, like an evergreen tweet, basically yeah. from Shams. You could post that any any part of the year. And it like, was ah, probably, probably seven true. seven McGee entering the transfer portal. <laughs> yes, yeah, yes. evergreen. Uh, anyway, uh, I think the, the question here that I, I liked was who could be the fifth, and then he also has a question after it that I don't know if we want to touch, but also over under three hundred uh, points allowed by UFO's defense this season. Um, I don't know how many points they allowed this last year. Well, I can. I was just trying to do the basic mental math. They played. They played thirteen games. So, thirteen. They had three hundred. What is that going to be? We're doing sports reporters doing trying to do mental math. Like twenty six. Terrible idea. Like twenty six. Is that right? Something like that. Points. Twenty six points a night. Oh, if you're playing thirteen games to get to three hundred, oh. I don't know. It might be totally off. I have no idea. I was just going to look it up and and, and let oh, you it should know. be. It's got to be less than that. Um. 300 points. <laughs> this is terrible podcasting. We're trying to do math. Let you, Jared, you tell me what that point per game threshold is, and I will uh, make a prediction on who the 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 fifth consecutive first-round pick would be, unless it's you have a, any. 300 divided by 13, it's 23. 23.1 if you round okay, up. 23. So. I was a little high. Yes. Over. Uh, <laughs> 23 per game. Oregon last season was 27.4. And they don't face the offenses are really anybody good. easier on offense. The offenses are better this year, though, is the problem. Yes. You take out the Georgia yeah. game where, of course, they gave up all the points. A million. Um, so that will help because I don't expect Texas A&M gives up scores 1,000 points in that game. Um, they could. Tyler Shuck revenge, revenge game. game. Yep. I said that. Uh, I'll, I'll go – I'm going to go over that number, I guess, just doing the math here. And also being optimistic, they get 13 and maybe 14 games. If they get 14 games, like if they play in the conference championship, that makes it really hard to go under 300, I would imagine. that You'd, you'd have to be – at that point, you're looking at about 20 points per game, which would be – I mean, mm -hmm. 
honestly, think about this last year when Oregon, <laughs> when it was about 20 points allowed in a game, you felt pretty decent about the defense. So if, if they were to average that, that would be, that'd be pretty darn good. So I'll, I'll go over on that. Maybe I'm being too pessimistic, but I think that's, that seems like the, probably the right choice. I'll go over it on. Well, um, I'm trying to think of who is going to be the fifth first round yeah, draft. I was doing Oregon the same thing. Year. I'm kind of filibustering here because I couldn't really think of who the next logical. Well, I, I, there's one in the comments actually. Andrew Mormon says if Franklin has a big year, he could be a first round worthy. I agree. I think he could be a first round worthy wide receiver. Um, he's going to have to put up really, really good numbers, but I, I, I think he's going to be drafted no matter what. It just a... depends on like how good he does against Pac-12 competition. So. I think name. the two names that I would say based upon positions they play that make the most sense would be a Johnny Cornelius, the Rhode Island transfer, because he's an offensive tackle. That's the position yep. that's attractive. People are really high on him. And then Jordan Birch is an edge. Yes. I know, I know Birch was my other guy. Yep. Pedigree athletically, at least to be a first-round talent. So I'd probably I go think, with one of those two. I think down the road, maybe 2025, little Josh Connerly Jr. action. First rounder. I, I mean, I, I have yeah. him starting. You have him starting this year. He's going to have two years of starting experience in the Pac-12. Um, yeah, I think he could be a first rounder down the line. But for next year, yeah, Franklin, Birch, and Johnny Cornelius, if he leaves. Oh, next. No. Um, Bucky Irving? I don't know. I hate first round running backs. I, but I don't think good. that's the thing you have to go through is what positions are actually drafted there. And a running right. back is so rarely drafted there. Interior linemen are so rarely drafted there. Honestly, inside linebackers are so rarely drafted there. You have to be really physically gifted to be a safety taken there. I don't see anybody on the team who fits that category. So, yeah, I kind of think cool. we've, we've I hit. I think Bridges and Kyrie are too old. Yeah, and probably also not quite good enough. Um, here's a here's – a, I like this one here. Well, I don't know if I like it, but this is a, this is a coming at you question from Andrew uh, Mormon, who you mentioned a m- moment ago, bringing up Flo- uh, Franklin, which I thought made sense. Uh, from Andrew Mormon. Picked the wrong question. Ooh, I picked the wrong guy. All right, let's do this one. Does Tosh Lupoi get canned if the Ducks don't make substantial improvement on defense next year? Well, so, I've, I've, I've thought about this before. Because okay. a lot of people were calling for Tosh Lupoi's head this past season, which I thought was premature. He now is, he's now got his guys. I mean, Oregon's bringing in damn near 40 people to the roster. So if, if there is a time for Oregon's defense to be uh, pretty damn good and, and led by a defensive-minded head coach, led by Lupoi, who's a defensive guy who was the D.C. at Alabama in 2015, 2016, I think it was, um, this would be the season to do it. If Oregon is humiliated on national television like they were against Washington and Oregon State once again in 2023, maybe, maybe. Well, you mentioned 40 newcomers. Uh, I was just doing the math. 26 of them are on defense. Yeah. So, I mean, that, it's that's a, it's an overhaul. That's, that's a huge The guys number. they want. Yeah. So, he, yeah, that, that excuse, excuse no longer will exist. I think it would have to be. Now, substantial improvement is one thing. Like, I think I think if the defense is comparable to what it was this last year and they win 10 games, I don't see a, a, a change being made. I know you need to see improvement in some key areas. Like if, if they don't get to the quarterback at all and if they get obliterated through the air by some of these kind of more pass-heavy offenses that are, by the way, pass-heavy offenses on 
your biggest rivals, teams that you need to be beating, like your biggest competition to win the conference, and that gets in the way of mm-hmm. maybe. But I, I, I would for him to get fired, I would think it would have to be just an abject disaster and yeah. really just completely turn go sideways. I don't know if it's like I think if they win ten games, he should probably be safe unless it's just they're winning. In unless Oregon scoring, it's like Oklahoma. yeah. It's like so, fifth, they're scoring fifty and allowing thirty five. I, I always think I always think we try to fire people way too too quickly in in, uh, mm-hmm. in, in sports in general. And I agree. I, there's a I, I'd like to see this play out longer. There's a comment here from from Jake H. Who fun fact Jake H. You are now Jake Long's replacement on the staff. Um, if oh, the well. defense is still the exact bottom of the barrel, yeah, this. Yeah, I, I agree with Jake here. If, if, if it's like very repli- replicable stats as it was to last season, I think that seat warms up. But to, to Jake's point, um, it's really hard to see how they won't be better on defense. I mean, they've addressed a lot of the positions of need, except for linebacker. Um, but, you know, they've, they've got edge. They've got a lot of defensive linemen who are cap- who might be capable of rushing the pass or they bring back doorless. We went over <clears> the whole depth chart earlier, but they – other than like a first round lockdown cornerback, they look on paper to be a better defense. Will it happen? We'll find out eventually, but um, I'm with Jake. If it's the same as last season that seat gets hot, I just don't see how it's, how it is as bad as it was last year. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. My, I guess my, my, just to kind of wrap it up. Cause we'll go to another question here in a second. I, mm-hmm. I, I think if it's replicable of last, if it's very similar, if it's a synonymous season, they're going to be finding a bunch of words to describe it things that are similar then I, then I could see hot seat going into 2024 cool and then if he, if there's no improvement there and it's sort of kind of average season then he's gone because part of the reason you hired Dan Lanning was to be really good defensively that was like a yes. kind of a key tenant of this and I think he's proven to be so much more than just a good defensive coach and in mm-hmm. fact you would argue based on his defense last year he hasn't really proven to be a good head coach of a defense or a good defensive coach as a head coach um, and, and I am not at all questioning his chops, but like the reason Oregon was good last year was not because of this incredible defense, which ironically was the reason we were optimistic about last season, right? Like that was one of the yes. things we're like, yes. oh, Oregon, Oregon is going to kind of, but we'll see what they can do on offense, but their defense is going to shut teams down. Well, that never happened. So, you know, I, I, I think, you know, it, that part's a little disappointing, but I, I don't know if you're quite at the point where you want to fire your def- defensive coordinator after two years, if it, Again, if it takes a huge step back, I think it makes sense in, in 2023 to, to, to look long and hard at that. But if it's similar to this last year, I think he probably has another year at least to show some improvement. But I don't know. I mean, we'll see how cutthroat Dan Landing is too. I mean, he hasn't had to be yep. faced with one of these situations. We don't know. I mean, Mario Cristobal kind of did it quietly, but there were – if you paid attention year over year, there, were, there was almost every year like a guy who just suddenly wasn't coaching here anymore. And he'd be like, what happened? It was like, oh, they just – just didn't live up to what Mario wanted. So it might be that Dan's more cutthroat than, than, than I'm giving him credit for. And that Tosh is on a much shorter lease than I think, but I, I don't think it's like imminent that he's fired. Yeah. I mean, before we move on to another question, you know, I, yeah, I will, we'll find out what, what landing is in terms of his cutthroat ability. I, I mean, there was, there was the, the, the rumor, um, from our good friend Josh paid at 24 seven that, that Dan at one point during the season took over a lot of the defensive play calling abilities. I remember that. And I, I don't think we've ever confirmed or confirmed that. Um, but if, if hypothetically, if those are true, that's, those are some cutthroat maneuvers from Dan. Those are some 
I'm taking the reins here type of deal as a head coach. So I don't know. We'll find out eventually how cutthroat Dan well, is, but I don't and, think it'll happen for a little bit. With and I guess playing devil's advocate to that point is if Tosh isn't even calling your defense, why are you firing Tosh? Yeah. Fire, like man. if Dan's calling the defense and the defense isn't good, <laughs> right. like the, 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 point, the fingers need to be pointed in that direction. Um, and I guess I, I know I'm oversimplifying a, simplifying a really complicated part of football, which is is coaching. But um, I don't. I, I to me, I, do, I don't see enough reason to fire Lupoi for cause, uh, with, with, like at all at this point. But anyway, uh, next one from Trib. Do you feel that Oregon can't get the best possible recruits going forward unless they join the Big Ten? Big reason they lost Dante Moore, and I feel like the big conferences are just the future of college football. Uh, agree with a lot of the premises in this one. Uh, I think I've been really impressed by how well Oregon's recruited right now. And I know part of that is because we're still in this realm where the USC UCLA departures are kind of tangential. And I say that to mean like they haven't, they're still playing in the conference and to a recruit, you can tell them we're going to be in the big 10. It's going to be better, blah, 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 blah. But the recruit doesn't really know what that looks like or can't really you can't, I mean, the, the coaches can't either in terms of recruiting that of like, what does that actually mean or feel like you can pitch it, but you can't exactly show it right now. Right. Um, you can tell them about it, but you can't show it. So I, I, I am surprised and impressed even that this class, like Oregon beat USC heads up for Roger Pleasant. They beat USC for a number of other recruits. They finished higher than USC in prep recruiting this year. So like, I do agree that I, I, I don't know if the big reason they lost Dante Moore was because of the Big Ten move. I don't know if that was ever something he came out and like really said. Um, but I do think that the, 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 the last part is true, which is the bigger conferences are what the future of college football will be. There's going to be a time in the not-too-distant future where I think there are going to be three to four power conferences that are probably comprised of about 15 to 20 schools that matter. And I, I imagine Oregon will be there. Um, to the point of can they not get the best recruits? Well, it hasn't happened yet. And you look at 2024, it's early, and things look really, really good. So I'm, I'm kind of leaning that that premise is probably not totally true in the short term. I am concerned, I think, I think most people should be, about, like, what's the big picture? I'm not even talking about 2025, but, like, by 2028, by the kind of the end of this decade, things could start to the, – the landscape might shift to a point where it does become more difficult. But right now, I don't – I'm not really seeing any evidence that Oregon's being held handicapped by being in the Pac-12 right now. And certainly this last recruiting class, eighth nationally, uh, I think the second best class Oregon's ever signed. Like, there's mm -hmm. kind of it's kind of hard to argue, like, oh, yeah, they're not getting all the guys because they're in the wrong conference. I, I haven't really seen that come up with too many guys other than, was it Micah Benuelos or Alani Noah, one of those USC offensive linemen? I think it was Yeah, Benuelos. and then – like Chris Steele, remember that name a couple years ago? Yeah, that was, but that's that's like a kind of a different element. I know you're getting. He's like, oh, the Pac-12 refs are. Yeah, yeah but that's a different but, thing. <laughs> right, but I think the overall point that I want to make is like, I, the kids don't choose a conference to go to; they choose a school to go to. And for the Dante Moore thing, um, you know, I, yeah, I don't think it's been reported. I don't think he's come out and said that that was a reason as to why he, he picked UCLA. Um, I'm sure it helps. I'm sure it's really nice to play at your hometown or, or, you know, within the vicinity of your parents and your family coming to a game. I don't think it matters that much. I really don't. And I remember 
we talked about this a whole heck of a lot when all the trans, when all the news of USC and UCLA leaving happened. We had, uh, I think it was Brandon Marcello. It was either Marcello or Huffman came on the show and was like, yeah, no. Like, guys don't pick schools based on the conferences they play in more often than not. Um, yeah, like playing in the SEC would be great, and I'm sure a lot of guys do have that in the back of their brain that they'll be exposed to better competition. But at the end of the day, most of these kids choose – well, most of these kids theoretically – choose because this is the school that fits them the best. This is the relationships that fit them the best. This is the program that fits them the best. This is where they want to go to school. Um, NIL certainly has something to do with that now. I just never thought that the idea of somebody making a massive decision like that based on the conference they were playing in, because conferences can come and go. You look at the Big Ten this last season, sure, they get Ohio State into, or they get Michigan and Ohio State into the college football playoffs. That's fine didn't work out for either team. Their third place team, I think was Purdue. They were a far um, inferior conference than the PAC 12 was this past season. So, and on paper, they look like a far inferior conference than the PAC 12 going into 2023. So it's gonna like these, these questions are going to come up because USC and UCLA are making this big deal about how the fact that they're like the chosen programs to go to that, to the big 10 and, yeah, I mean, if I were the Big Ten, I would want those programs as well. They give me the most amount of money. I would also want Stanford and Cal because that's a bigger TV market if I'm just about money. Um, you know, we'll see how they do in the Big Ten. I don't like the the prospect of how they do in the Big Ten. I think that's going to be quite a wake-up call for a Lincoln-Riley team that hasn't played defense in six years. Um, I think it'll be interesting, and I think Oregon will have absolutely zero problem with recruiting because Oregon's recruiting base – except for the last class, frankly, West coast. If you want to talk about going home, if you're a big, if you're somebody from Michigan, you're someone from Michigan, I'm going to go commit to play for UCLA because I'm going to live in Los Angeles. And then I'm going to commute to Detroit or to to, to Ann Arbor to go play in front of my families. That's great. That's a wonderful idea. You're Oregon and you're recruiting Southern California players. Guess what? Oregon's still going to be playing in California there's still going to be opportunities for your parents and your family to come make a trip. And you, you're, you're going to be living in, in Oregon. It's the same idea. You're not going to be traveling all this much. I don't feel like it's really that big of a decision in a recruits, um, in a recruits mindset going into his commitment. I think it's overblown. It was Will Fong who came on, I think, and on a podcast yeah. said Oregon can do use the Clemson model of, Clemson has long been a recruiting blue blood dominant program yep. in a conference that doesn't have a lot of other dominant programs that is kind of seen as being a weaker conference and has maintained that and has continued to compete for national championships. Um, with the exception of the last two years, they were in gosh, like five or six of them, I think in a row or, or something close to that. Uh, so that's the blueprint. I remember that Wilt, Wilt Fung kind of mentioned with Oregon. And then, I mean, I, I've been kind of obviously for, professional reasons, but also just for kind of my own personal enjoyment, watching and listening to podcasts about recruiting and kind of how Oregon did. And the consensus Oregon had a really good class and there should, there's no reason to expect them not to recruit really well over the next couple of years. I think it was uh, uh, on the cover three podcast. I'm trying to remember who actually said it, it might've been Chip Patterson that the expectation should be Oregon's a top 10 recruiting destination every year from a class perspective. So um, we'll see if that holds up or not, but, I don't think there's reason to get too down on the things. And I think you have to look pretty far in the future to be kind of pessimistic. I, again, I'd say 28, 29, somewhere in that range where 
if the Big Ten is proven to be, you know, a completely different, you know, if things really separate, then you may have yeah. some concerns to have in four or five, six years, I mean, but not right now. I'm, I mean, I'm concerned about Oregon from a program perspective, not from a recruiting perspective in terms of this Big Ten move, because being stuck in the Pac-12 um, might really hurt them with, without USC yeah, and UCLA. absolutely. Yeah, that, but that's a different conversation. Uh, going to do a couple more. This one is not, not a long answer for us, but just, a, a, I guess, a suggestion for our content purposes from Nolan Drebbing. Is there anybody? Is there any way that you could have other Pac-12 schools, twenty-four-seven beat writers, on during the offseason? A lot has changed, and I'm interested in seeing if Washington and USC made any changes. Uh, yeah, we can certainly try to get uh, a variety of guests on here. I think that's one thing we're aiming to do this year. Um, our, our plan for the offseason is to have a pretty uh, standard structure of Monday a mailbag, Wednesday is going to be a guest of some sort, Friday being a live stream. So that's kind of what the plan is. So those Wednesdays. You know, we've got some things planned over the next couple of weeks, but when we get into May and June and, and July, certainly where, you know, you're kind of looking at slower months, I think we can, we can try to get somebody on there. Um, no guarantee if we'll have Washington guests on. That's, that's the, I would say that. No comment. All right. Uh, do we have any more questions here? I don't, I don't know if I see anything else actually. Now that I'm Let me give a, let me give a look here. Oh, here's one. I uh, guess I found I found one question, and then if you find another one, we should wrap it here in a little bit. But uh, Darius <clears throat> P asked, "Do you think Oregon can win a Natty if they keep losing coaches every year?" Yeah, I, I'm I'm yeah. not all that concerned with the coach turnover that happens everywhere. Look at Alabama; they they compete for national championships, and they have to replace their coordinators every year and continue. I mean, it's honestly, yeah, they have to do it again I'm this not, year. If you, I was going to say, if you haven't done the exercise, go look at the offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators Alabama's had since 2010. Just go look at it and how much turnover it is. It's almost annual. Um, there's like, I think yeah, there's really been is. a couple of guys that have been there two or three years, but that's like the longest anybody holds that. Tosh, in fact, was one of the guys who was there the longest for two years, I think, as a defensive coordinator. It's just, it, mm -hmm. there's constant rotation. So, uh, no, I'm I'm not concerned, and it, it, it's it's uh, unfortunately part of the business. And you'd love to have had more continuity, especially with I think Kenny Dillingham as a play caller. Um, just having him run this offense, I think the offense you would have expectation. I th I just think the offense is going to be good. But imagine what we'd be talking about now about ooh Dillingham in year two after this awesome debut. How good can they be with Knicks and all of this skill talent they have? I think we still think that, but it probably the conversation changes a little bit just because there is some uncertainty with with uh, Will Stein, but no, I, I'm, I'm not concerned with, with that. And I think winning a national championship is, is, is really lofty in general for, for most programs that, I mean, there's about four or five programs that I genuinely think can do it every year. And Oregon's not to that point yet. That doesn't mean they can't get there at some point, but I know the expectation remains national championship or bust for some people. I sometimes think that's sort of an unfair expectation to, to set. Not that they can't be competing for it, but winning them and actually playing in the college football playoff is something that Oregon hasn't done in almost a decade now. You know, I wouldn't say it's a good thing if your offensive and defensive coordinators stick around for a long time, just because it means that nobody's trying to get them. Nobody thinks that they can go any higher than what they already are. And that's the point about Alabama. And like Eric said, you do the exercise, you go through their offensive and defensive coordinator list. You know, the longest guys are around there for three years. Like I think Sark might have been there for three years because teams and programs were just kind of 
honestly like afraid to, 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 to bring him in as a head coach. Well, now he's a head coach at Texas. He's proven himself. He's a good coach. Um, he had that slip up at USC, but that's what Alabama does, man. They're just a, a freaking factory in terms of just, look, we're going to find the best talent. We're going to produce them. We're going to highlight it on a national level. Oh, yeah, and we're going to win national championships the year after everybody leaves. Simple as that. You want to have fun? Go look at the 2015 Alabama coaching roster. There's seven or eight Power Five head coaches on that roster or on that do- on that coaching staff. It's impressive what they do every single season. Um, but yes, to answer the question, Oregon, Oregon, if they even, if they eventually win a national championship, it will be after some offensive and defensive coordinators leave. I can guarantee you that. Yeah, and, and just to kind of wrap this thought up and give time, probably going to call it a show here unless there's a couple questions that come through we, that catch our eye, but. I think that, you know, the one thing from an Oregon fan base, and I'm not saying Darius is falling into this at all, but I, I do know there there are fans, um, maybe maybe fans are a little older, who get frustrated with all the turnover in part because it didn't used to be that way. Like Oregon under Mark Elfrich and Chip Kelly and even back to Mike Bilotti, there was a lot of continuity from Bilotti staffs to Kelly staffs to Helfrich's staff to the point where you had guys who were on staff as assistants at Oregon for, for multiple decades, which just doesn't happen anymore. The sport has changed, and um, honestly, a lot of the guys that, I hate to say it, a lot of guys that had loyalty and stuck around for a while kind of got phased out. And now you're looking at, I think, the, just the landscape in general with coaches and the way they choose to, to kind of make choices has really has changed. And there is much more mobility in general now than there were years ago, in part because I think there's, there's more opportunity in terms of just the number of coaches um, that you can have on staff. So, no, I, I think uh, I think you can just expect and kind of anticipate, just like you're going to see, I think you look at like the transfer portal. You go, Oregon's going to lose a dozen, two dozen players every year. And you go, Oregon's probably going to lose one to three assistant coaches, position coaches, coordinators, whatever, every year. And you just kind of, that's the expectation. I'm sure that's an expectation the staff has. So, um, yeah, no, I think that kind of ends that one. Uh, we'll throw this one as a, as a goofy question as we kind of sign off from Cody Snow. Uh, when are the three of you getting duck tattoos? Never. Yeah, I'm not no, a not, tattoo guy. Not a tattoo Unfortunately. person. Sorry, Matt Cody. might be. I don't know if you guys know this, but Matt tatted up. Yeah. Big time tat master. Got a full and, right, right arm sleeve. Him and James Crepia, the Oregonian. Big tat guys. Big tattoo people, yeah. 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 Uh, I think that's going to wrap it up. Uh, Matt can come in here and, and show you his arm tattoo next live stream. I, I think I think we have to make that. Make sure to ask him on Twitter about it too. Yeah, I'll ask, make him him happy. About, ask him about his arm sleeve and, and and ask him about why he has that. What that what the one on his shoulder means? What does that one represent? I still can't figure it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good idea. All right, uh, that'll do it. Thanks, those folks here uh, in the in the stream for joining us for asking questions. Uh, we will be back on Monday with a mailbag. Uh, I believe Matt will be back on that show. He is down in Arizona covering Oregon men's basketball. They just lost to Arizona last night. Hopefully better things tomorrow uh, against Arizona State. Women play a couple games this weekend. I will have coverage of that. But uh, we'll be back on Monday to talk a little bit more, I'm sure, duck football, maybe some duck hoops and whatnot on the mailbag. But uh, thanks again for listening. I'm Eric Scopel, and this is Jared Mack. Peace.